evening and welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And on Sunday, I went to the first Bethel Woods Harvest Festival of the season. And this happens to be the 25th season that they've been doing this. They're celebrating 25 years of the Harvest Festival. I was there and then started a new series called Meet Me at the Harvest Festival. We'll see who I met there. Possibly some familiar voices for you. And tomorrow night we have a special in-depth report on what Sullivan County is doing to meet the challenges facing it in terms of waste disposal in county. But tonight we're going to take a statewide perspective on that. Because uh, one of the possible solutions, or uh, at least uh, one of the steps being mulled right now, is the question of will putting a price on trash keep the state's garbage from overflowing? It's a question that New York Focus is asking when the state's biggest landfill is projected to reach its capacity by 2025. New York State is requesting regulatory approval to allow the landfill to stack trash higher and collect more methane gas. Meanwhile, on Long Island, a significant landfill situated near a predominantly black and Latino community is scheduled for closure in 2024. In response, the primary waste hauling company in that area intends to transport more garbage off of the island. And this action has sparked renewed worries about environmental justice implications. So there's a lot going on. A lot of issues underneath the bigger issue of garbage in New York State. And here to tell us more reporters working on this issue from New York Focus, please welcome on air uh, Jack Carroll. Jack, welcome to the program. Oh, excuse me. And please welcome to on air Jack Carroll. Jack, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And also we have uh, Colin Kinneberg. Thank you so much for joining us. Colin, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. So, um... And, and whoever wants to start with this one, you can. I'm wondering in what ways. Uh, well, first off, how how did you approach this story? How did this how did this story came come to be in New York Focus, and how did you both come to be working on it? Uh, I can take that one. I you know I think we were looking at just sort of the state's you know um, waste situation in general, and then you know the DEC, the Department of Environmental Conservation, puts out this plan about once every decade, that's sort of an important roadmap, roadmap for how the state's going to deal with waste. And sort of in one of the key recommendations, I noticed this, um, this idea of a, a surcharge or a fee, and it just sort of stood out to us as like, you know, this kind of new idea that, you know, the state hadn't really thought of before, and, you know, a lot of other states have. So I think it was sort of a combination of just, you know, seeing that waste is a problem in the state, and also, you know, maybe they're they're trying to take a new approach to dealing with it. Yeah, it definitely sounded like a new idea to me. So I'm glad to hear that it's not that it's not just me. This this does sound sound like a new idea. Um, so how would you say in what ways can the state address these challenges, comprehensive waste challenges? Um, because it encompasses so many sub issues, as I was saying in the intro, like uh, landfill capacities are reaching their limits, heavy reliance on incineration, waste energy plants, as well. Um, as the, the increasing uh, export of waste to other areas, what what are some other ways the state can address it? Sure, I can jump in here. Um, so, as Jack mentioned, the this um, this landfill this uh, 
fee that the state is talking about and that we focused on in the article is really one of three big recommendations um, that the state made in its latest waste plan, which is it's still a draft. They haven't finalized it yet, but um, they are also looking at trying to increase uh, recycling of organics, so composting, basically. Um, and then there's this policy, uh, which has a very sort of jargony name, extended producer responsibility, um, where basically the idea is, and this is focused on packaging waste, the idea is to put the companies that produce the packaging in the first place in charge of uh, reducing it and recycling more of it um, so that less of it ends up in our landfill. So those those are the kind of like the three big ideas, um, and two of those have already been heavily debated in the legislature, but the um, this fee or surcharge idea is the new one that we focused on. Well, how would this surcharge idea, I mean, how, how would it even operate, you know, and, and, you know, are there advantages, are there disadvantages? How would this work? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, because this is just a, a draft, you know, plan, it, it would ultimately, you know, uh, the legislator would decide what the exact details are, you know, hopefully next session uh, if they pass it. But, you know, the basics are um, it would be a fee, not a tax, a, a, a user fee, you know, um, implemented at, you know, the sites of disposal of solid waste. So, you know, trash, but, but not recycling and not composting. So that's going to be landfills, uh, waste to energy facilities, and, you know, also maybe transfer stations um, in a few areas of the state. So basically like these sort of these major, you know, choke points for trash in the state. And also it would be assessed on all uh, trash that's exported out of the state. So it's sort of, they, they would look to, you know, tack it, tack it on at the end of sort of the waste life, life cycle in the state and, you know, try, try to, you know, make people pay them. Is there any, and, as a, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to add on there, um, just quickly, and it could be either, you know, a, some, some, some towns, uh, or cities manage their waste themselves. Um, and so it might be them, you know, paying the fee out of their, their tax base or, or however they might decide to assess that. Or, and some other towns rely on private waste haulers. So then it would be the private waste haulers who, who would be paying it when they, you know, show up at the dump. Um, and it would basically be like a, a few dollars. It could be anywhere from, you know, the DC mentions $5. Some groups are asking for as much as fifteen dollars um, per ton of waste. So that's the general idea. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of along the lines of what I was going to ask about next. Because here in Sullivan County, where I I'm a resident and, and where the radio station is based, uh, in Sullivan County, basically there's there's a fee for residents per bag that you toss, or if you're if you're um, uh, disposing of a large amount of waste, and there's a, a, a fee per ton. I do know. I have friends over in neighboring Delaware County, rural upstate New York, uh, that, that are surprised to hear when I say, yeah, we got to pay per bag when we throw out. They don't pay for bag. So I'm wondering, um, uh, you know, how does this proposed state level, uh, policy of like a state level fee, how would that be different from a county like ours where we pay, uh, as we throw stuff out? Um, and, and how would it be similar and how would it uh, intersect with that? Uh, Colin, do you want to take that one? Sure. 
so um, it, in a certain way, I mean, basically the, the state is planning to add an extra, uh, you know, however many dollars it ends up being, let's, let's call it $5 per ton. Um, so counties like uh, Sullivan County, for example, which already have a fee, they could either, they might either see that and say, okay, we already have enough, um, in our, in our budget from collecting that, that fee on every, on every bag we put out to, you know, cover this without any additional cost to residents. Or they might say, actually, we need to step up our, uh, our, you know, local collection fees a little bit more and, and charge you a little extra for that bag. So the hope there, uh, you know, to put a sort of a positive spin on it would be that it would encourage people to throw out less. And then, as you said, of course, most uh, most New Yorkers actually don't pay per bag or can of trash they have. They don't have what's called a pay-as-you-throw system. Um, and so another possibility is that more places would try to implement those kinds of systems, you know, so that instead of having to pay this extra, this new state fee out of their existing budget, they could... Um, you know, raise raise the money locally through the, uh, these trash fees and uh, and pay it that way. So that would bring the incentive down from that kind of state level down to the the individual household level, and potentially help discourage people from throwing away so much. And is that is this regard in the the realm of waste removal, trash disposal, is pay as you throw regarded as uh, a generally positive thing because it has that that disincentive uh, uh, trying to encourage people to throw out less. Uh, yeah, and and we talked to a few people for the article. You know, one of them um, is a sort of leading researcher on pay as you throw, and and you know she's done a lot of work, and others have done work to sort of uh, you know prove that pay as you throw programs across the United States have you know really. Um, there's a lot of evidence that they do reduce waste that when you sort of Im- implement a volume based pricing model, people are incentivized to, you know, create less waste and, you know, um, because they have to pay more and it, it has, you know, it has shown reductions of, you know, upwards of, you know, 10, 15% in a lot of communities across the country. Any of these folks that you talked to for the article, have a reaction to this uh, at least emerging proposal from New York State to possibly have like a statewide fee any any reactions at this point yeah I mean some of the groups some of the you know environmental and waste minded groups um, that work on these issues have generally been in favor uh, if anything most of the advocates I talked to wanted to see higher fees than what the DEC was sort of suggesting here. Um, as far as the political response, which is obviously what's going to determine whether this ultimately goes into effect, um, I spoke with uh, Pete Harkham, who's the chair of the Environmental Committee in the Senate, and he said this wasn't really at the top of his agenda right now. He's focusing on those other two big recommendations, which is the packaging waste reduction and, and composting. But um, really, this comes down to Governor Hochul and whether she includes this in uh, her state budget proposal next year or an, or another year. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Senator Harkum and I imagine others, you know, I mean, Senator Harkum told me he'd be he'd be willing to consider it if uh, if it came up then. So I think it really comes down to uh, the governor. And 
is, are there is there any other uh, political or municipal reaction to this? Is there any resistance uh, from anyone uh, at at this point? Um, yeah, there, there have been some resistance from a few smaller counties uh, in upstate New York. Um, Fulton County is one. Madison County is another. And again, it's, it's still pretty early in the process because the 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 draft. Um, you know, the DEC's draft plan was, wasn't released too long ago. So I think, you know, if this was um, placed into the budget next year and, you know, the legislator was debating it, I think, there you know, more debate would arise about it. But there's definitely some opposition, you know, upstate. Um, you know, the New York Solid Waste Association, I believe, is the organization's name. They oppose it or they oppose a very similar idea that was mentioned in the state's climate plan. So there definitely is, you know, there's some, there's some uh, opposition, and you know, whenever, um, you know, the government tries to, you know, add, you know, another fee to services, it's, it's maybe not so surprising that there is going to be some opposition. Well, that's why I was asking about reactions because the uh, government can't really propose anything, whether there's fees or not, without there being uh, at least some uh, negative reaction in there. So that's what I was curious about. Um, another thing I'm curious about, just because you are talking to people that are looking at this kind of big picture, you know, we, we have our local reporter, um, uh, Leah Mayo, who worked on this special uh, feature about uh, waste management within Sullivan County and dealing with these issues of uh, landfills filling up and, and that's going to air, uh, Wednesday night here on the local edition. But, um, I, I, what struck me was hearing the chairman of, uh, the, of our own Republican led legislature essentially acknowledging that the ground is not the place to put, uh, garbage anymore. Is there consensus on that? As you look at this big picture, are people realizing like this, this isn't going to work and we need to come up with other solutions? I think there is consensus on that. And the real tricky thing is how to avoid putting so much trash in the ground. So um, and, and the politics of, you know, figuring out all the details of policies like increasing composting, where is it going to go? How is it going to be processed and um, pushing back on uh, uh, and, you know, facing the pushback from um, big industry when it comes to reducing waste in the form of packaging, for example. Um, you know, there's been heavy lobbying opposing those kinds of bills. Um, but just just on that big picture question again, um, I mean, as far as the fee goes, one thing that, you know, some of the proponents put to me, uh, even though this is, you know, adding a fee up front, um, they say that it can ultimately save costs in the long term precisely by reducing so much, reducing how much um municipalities have how much waste municipalities have to handle every day and how much they do have to put um into landfills and send out to export to other states which cost them a lot of money right now that we don't necessarily see because it's buried in taxes um so there is i think the state is trying to deal with this in a holistic way um but so far it hasn't really uh had a lot of success, and um, I think a lot of it is, is tied up in the politics. So it'll be very interesting to see where that goes in the next year or so. And I'm wondering, because in your article, you mentioned um, a landfill that we mentioned in the intro uh, uh, on Long Island, uh, overlooking a majority black and Latino neighborhood is going to close next year, is supposed to close next year. 
Um, as we talk about all the different issues under the, the hood here, and there's environmental concerns, there's economic concerns, um, to what extent are there uh, social justice uh, concerns? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely environmental justice concerns with trash uh, in New York. I mean, you know, a lot of the major landfills are sort of located in, in, in environmental justice communities. Um, minority communities definitely have to bear, you know, a, a disproportionate share of sort of our our waste disposal facilities. So it's a huge environmental justice concern. I think, you know, obviously um, a policy like this hopefully could help. And, you know, ultimately, I think reducing the amount of waste that's generated in the state is, is what's ultimately going to, you know, going to help, you know, the waste situation across the board, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think um, all these policies, uh, extend and proofs of responsibility, composting, the surcharge, I think, you know, the hope is that uh, the, the state can really, you know, in a lot of ways drastically improve its sort of, um, you know, waste landscape, because in a lot of ways right now it's, it's not working for a lot of communities, especially um, minority communities. All right. Well, is there is there anything else on this story and this overall issue that we didn't get to tonight that you want folks to keep in mind? I think you pretty much covered it, Jason. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us. It's been great to be here. Well, well, you covered it, and I'm just so glad that you were able to to go over all these details with it. And there was a lot of questions in here, so I thank you so much. Uh, again, the article in uh, New York Focus is New York Moles. New trash fee as landfills near tipping point. And uh, we've been talking to the reporters who worked on this story, Jack Carroll and Colin Kinneberg. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. And uh, New York Focus website is nysfocus.com. And you can find the article that we've been talking about on our own website, wjffradio.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time to go to the Harvest Fest. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hip-hop was born 50 years ago at parties in the Bronx. This is the room here. Very small room. Now, it's a global cultural juggernaut. I don't think there's any music genre, any form of popular culture that has been more transformative than hip-hop for the last five decades. I'm Juana Summers. Join us for Hip-Hop 50, a special from NPR. Saturday night at 8 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to Local Edition News and Information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, and on Sunday, I went to the first Harvest Festival at Bethel Woods of the season. They're doing six of them this year, every Sunday. I went to the first one, and I anticipate going to future ones. Because I wanted to check it out, I wanted to meet people there. So this is a series I'm kind of calling Meet Me at the Harvest Festival. And I've got some audio from the folks that I did meet there uh, this past Sunday. And we'll also get a preview of what's coming up this Sunday at the Harvest Festival. And uh, who's the first the first people that I met at the Harvest Festival after I got there on Sunday? Uh, some familiar voices you may recognize. 
Hi, this is Al Troiani from Jambalaya. So you got here a little bit before me. I guess I missed, uh, missed some of the ceremony. Well, it's the 25th anniversary of the Harvest uh, Festival, and uh, Carol was part of the organizing of it back 25 years ago, and they introduced her along with the dignitaries, and we uh, saw a lot of dignitaries talking about how important this festival is to the, you know, to the profile of Bethel Woods and also the, uh, the economy of Sullivan County in a lot of ways, too. So we've been walking around seeing a lot of vendors that Carol's known for many years and a lot of new ones, too, and the tortoises are here, and it's been, just been uh, a lot of fun walking around today. So, uh, Carol, what are you thinking? Well, first off, can you tell folks like what it was that you used to do at the Harvest Festival? Sure. Uh, my role in the very beginning, because of my arts background, was to find craft artists to come out here. And there was about 12 when I took over the craft tent, and there was about 150 when I left wow. nine years later. So it was fun meeting artists and inviting people to this event. So nine years at the Harvest Festival, can you believe now it's been going on for 25? Yeah, no, that, it was stunned me when Eric sent the uh, invitation to come out and celebrate today because time has flown. Did you see some familiar faces marking the occasion earlier? Yeah, amazing how many of the same artists are still here because it's such a successful festival. And if you, if you do this kind of work to find a venue like this, you're really fortunate. Well, that's great. Well, it's good good to see so many people out and about. Well, yeah, you know, and seeing a lot, like, like I said, a lot of old friends. Uh, our friends Nick and uh, Joni have a, a booth right down there on the corner. She makes jewelry, and and uh, it's always good to see those guys. And and our friend uh, the Burns have their their uh, farm market stuff over here. So we bought some beans and tomatoes and some produce and everything from produce to belts to t-shirts to to uh, good, really good food. Sausage and peppers was awesome today. Well, thanks so much for talking. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. I'm seeing browns and oranges and tans and greens and whites here. The colors of autumn. I it's Here it's late August. I'm still trying to grab a hold of whatever the summer that I can so it seems a bit early to be looking at this decorative Indian corn gourds pumpkins they look great it's just a little too soon for me but in a couple weeks here at the harvest festival it's going to get very autumnal and there's going to be even more pumpkins and gourds and decorative corn perhaps the largest tent here I would call this the the farmers uh, market tent I don't know what they call it, but a lot of farm producers here and people making, you know, kind of value-added craft foods as well. You're seeing uh, homemade fudge, specialty drinks, wines and ciders, all that good stuff, plus vegetables, salted caramel, maple syrup. There's a lot going on. So uh, it seems like Burns Farm is really holding down the corner here with a lot of uh, produce, a lot of good-looking produce. And, and who, who am I here with? Matt Burns. So this, this is your farm? It is. Yep. Want to let folks know some of what you got here? Maybe we could talk about how that's going to change in upcoming weeks, too. Well, we'll get more into the fall products in the upcoming weeks. Uh, I see great green beans here. Beans, lettuce, ca- carrots, beets. All that, you know. What's left? It was a rough year for farmers, though. Yeah. It really was. So. 
So was it was the it the freeze that affected you or the 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 excessive water at times? What was it? The freeze was easy. <laughs> um, it was the water and the heat, a lot of heat there. Those two weeks or whatever it was there. No, no, it was no water. Then it was too much water. Right. So it's it's really the inconsistency as much as any one aspect of the weather said it's just it's more it's always unpredictable being a farmer now it's like it's more unpredictable than ever absolutely absolutely it was, yeah. it was a rough year we we're talking before about it he still has half, half his hay hasn't even got in yet it's gonna be a rough winter a lot of people what can you do is there anything you start try to planning on strategically to deal with it retirement sell what you can yeah, retirement, yeah. No, 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 I'm not retiring. Okay. <laughs> they'll, bury, they'll probably bury me in my tractor. It's okay. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. All right, have a good night. Thank okay. you. Okay, and next up on Meet Me at the Harvest Festival, I'm meeting somebody who can tell us about What's going on here at the Harvest Festival today and uh, maybe what you might be able to expect at upcoming Harvest Festivals. I'm Lauren Jehoda, Director of Operations and Events at Bethel Woods. The Harvest Festival, one of those operations or events that you got to yes. direct? Very much so, yes. <laughs> yep. With a whole team of people, though. So. so this is the first one of the season and it's a big one. You had all sorts of official uh, ceremony earlier today to mark the fact that it's been 25 years of the Harvest Festival. Can you just tell us uh, how that went and what you guys did? It was great. We um, we did we had several people speaking this morning. We had uh, Eric Francis, our CEO. We had Aileen Gunther. Uh, we had Denise Frangipani, who was with the festival since the beginning. Um, we also had Robert Doherty, and then our town supervisor Dan Sturm. Um, they also gave out three awards to the three vendors who have been here for all 25 years. Um, that was Music Farm, Anderson's Maple Farm, and Beaver Dam Brook Farms. Yeah. And then we had a ribbon cutting, and then we kicked it off with a, a marching band. That's great. What What is there still to occur today for folks? Um, I mean, everything's kind of up and running already, um, and we'll be here the whole day. We obviously have live music, so the marching band that we started off with actually just did a full set on the stage, and they just finished. Um, we have another band coming up next, and then we have a big attraction today is a tortoise sanctuary. Um, so we have tortoises that are just about my age, the 30-something range. Uh, as everyone knows, they're like the oldest animals that we have here on the earth. Um, and they're here uh, for everyone to observe and enjoy and be educated about. Um, and that's going on in the field right, right near our corn maze um, and our creative learning tent. Uh, in addition to that, we have a live muralist. So over this Sunday and next Sunday, she'll be creating a beautiful piece of art that people can watch her create. Um, so we have the corn maze and we have all of our standard offerings. There's things that are here at the Harvest Festival like every week. And then there's uh, unique things that pop up on individual weeks, different themes, different performers. What what can folks expect uh, at the second Harvest Festival this coming Sunday? Absolutely. So. The second Harvest Festival, the main attraction is something that people have enjoyed for years here, which is uh, Rosehaven alpacas. So they'll be coming in with all of their animals and goods. and um, So it's alpaca week next week for sure. Um, in some of our future weeks, we're going to have axe throwing. We're going to have uh, chainsaw carving, wood carving happening. Um, we're actually bringing in two 
famous uh, butter sculptors. So they're going to be creating a life-size uh, butter sculptor, uh, sculpture. Um, that's on the last week. We also have giant pumpkin carving. Uh, we have a circus troupe coming in one of the weeks. Um, so just keep an eye on the website, all of our social media to, to be in tune of what's happening which week. Yeah. All right. And with all the work that you got to do to put this Harvest Festival on, is there, is there anything that you're able to do to just enjoy it? And if so, what is it? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, lunch is a great lunch, time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's downtime. There's amazing food here. Um, this is honestly my favorite event that we do at Bethelwood. So why? I love that it's family oriented. It's about the community. It's, it's a true give back in every single way. You know, um, obviously I love concerts too, but, um, there's something special about the Harvest Festival. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah. Thank you. Mr. Anderson, Peter Anderson, I was admiring your uh, corner here as soon as I got here, but I guess I probably also admired it a number of times over the years because you've been here for a while at the Harvest Fest. Yeah, we've uh, been here for 25 years. Oh my God. Okay, we're one of the original members when they started the little uh, farmer's market way back when, and uh, we've been coming every year, never missed. So, uh, yeah, if you need your maple syrup, we have, uh, we're the pumpkin man. Uh, we supply all the pumpkins for uh, Peace, Love, and Pumpkins also. So, uh, yeah, if you want your, your pumpkins, come on down. In about two weeks, we'll have a big selection here. And well, that's the first thing that caught my eye was the decorative corn and the pumpkins on the end of the table. And I said into the microphone, I said, you know, there's going to be more of these here in, in upcoming weeks. So you're going to be bringing a lot more, too. I'll be the guy that's bringing them. Yep. We'll definitely be talking to you again uh, in the future about that. But congratulations on being here. And what, what was it like getting uh, honored at the kickoff there? What, what, what did you do? It only took me 25 years of hard work to get that. 